Hi, Stinky, come on. Oh, sorry. Is he called Stinky? Stinky. Yeah, he's called Stinky. Stinky. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. This week on Walking the Dog, Ray and I popped to North London's Clissold Park to meet radio and TV star Nick Grimshaw. Nick has two rescue dogs, Pig, a bull terrier, who is at home with Nick's partner, Mish, but he brought along his other dog, Stinky, for the walk, who is a ridiculously cute part pug, part terrier, and part just magical Disney creature. Nick's a joy to spend time with, as he's just bursting with brilliant stories about his childhood in Manchester, the incredible experiences he's had during his radio career. Oh, and he's also obsessed by dogs. And by the way, if you ever wanted to hear how people react when a grown man runs around a park shouting stinky, you might enjoy this podcast. We also chatted about Nick's memoir, Soft Lad, which is out now. It's so beautifully written and it's one of those fearlessly honest books that manages to be moving and thought-provoking and funny at the same time. A bit like him, really. I'll shut up now and hand over to the man himself. Here's Nick and Stinky and Raymond. Right. right, do you want to be set free? There you go. Let him have a party while he's out. Shall I set Raymond free now? Stinky, get off it. Ah, ah, out the bin. Hate when they go in the bin. Like, gross. I find it interesting. Stinky, over here. Sorry. I find it interesting that your dog is called Stinky, uh-huh. and mine's the one who's done four poos already. Uh, yeah, he did do a poo, one which he <laughs> took to a table delivered to someone as a gift from the coffee shop. Come on, Ray. I have to be quite strict with him, Nick. Do you? What breed is he? He's an Imperial Shih Tzu. Oh, I love his hairdo. I think he's going to get on well with your dog. I'll go this way. Stinky's like... Oh, Stinky! He's very social. Also, he always loses me and, like, thinks he goes home with another family. Oh, look at Stinky. I know, he's so happy. Always happy. Stinky, this way. Stinks. Come on. Look at his little face. Isn't he funny? Nick, I love his little run. I know, he's such a funny little mashup of all the dogs, isn't he? I'm so thrilled to have you on this podcast. Well, thanks Nick. for having me. And let's officially introduce your dog, Nick Grimshaw. Who have we got with us today? So we have one of the family today. I have two. Um, I decided to bring the better behaved one. So I've brought Stinky Blob and I've left Pig with me, my boyfriend, because Pig's, she's great, but you, you've got to concentrate on her. She like rips branches out of trees. She jumps in lakes. She eats people's picnics. Like she's a lot. So you've got to really keep your eye on her. So I was like, not good for chatting. Yeah. I don't think. It's not a relaxing walk with Pig, that's all. So I thought I'd bring Stinky, who's like the dream dog. Always happy, listens, stays with you, doesn't jump in lakes, doesn't pull branches down, doesn't chase squirrels. Well, I want to hear a bit more about Pig, but let's talk me through Stinky first. So Stinky is... There's a bit of pug in there, isn't Yeah, there? I don't actually know where he is. He, so his mum, he's from Battersea, they're both from Battersea, and um, Stinky... Well, I had Pig first, and then when I moved house, Pig always used to follow me around. She was a bit older, Pig, when I got her. So she always used to follow me around, and she was quite needy. And I thought, maybe if I get another dog, she's got like a little, you know, pal for when I'm upstairs. Maybe she didn't need to come upstairs and follow me around. Not because I didn't like it, but I just thought it was quite stressful for her to be always, like, never relaxing. And any time I like moved a cup, she'd get up and see where the cup had gone. So I was like, maybe she's like got some sort of abandonment issues. Like I don't know what happened to her before I got her from Battersea. Aww. So Stinky was basically her support animal. So she could, you know, have someone in bed with her. And now he just follows Pig when Pig follows me. So it's like a conga around the house of those two following me everywhere. But she's definitely calmer since we got Stinky. Really? Yeah, and I think it's just, it must just be nice to have something from your own species in the house, you know? Yeah. Understand each other a bit. So yeah, I got him from Battersea, he was eight weeks old, and his mum was tied up outside Battersea, and she was really pregnant, 
and when they came into work in the morning they found her tied up and she was really really pregnant and when they brought her in the second they brought her in she gave birth so she'd been like holding on to like be somewhere safe and i think there's like there was like seven of them or something and stinky we don't know what he is but his mum was half jack russell half pug but we don't know what the dad is so i don't know what he is but he's just sort of a mashup yes because he's got um Quite a lot of energy for he a does. Pug. He's got yeah. that terrier. And he doesn't have the flat face either, really. Oh, but no. he's crazy. He's so funny. He's such a funny character of a dog. And how do you think he gets on with Ray? They haven't... I mean, I wouldn't say they fell into each other's mm. arms, but they, they seem to tolerate each yeah, other. Yeah, he's really good with dogs. He lets sort of kind of is the dream dog in that he just sort of ignores them. Mm. So he'll, like, say hi and, like, <laughs> play with them for a minute. But he's not bothered. He'll never like be bothered to run over to dogs. Every now and then, when they're in the house, he'll like to have a little play with them. Or if someone brings a puppy round, he'll play with them. But yeah, he's quite happy with his own company, you know. He's content. Oh, Nick, is Stinky oh, doing a stinky? He's doing a stinky. And so, Pig is a bull terrier. Pig, yeah, he's half staff, half bull terrier. And I don't know, I've, everyone who I've ever met, like my friends have got a bull terrier, I've got quite a few friends who've got staffies, like, they don't seem to have like that much energy. Or they, they you know, just adequate amount. And Pig seems to have like superhuman, maybe it happened in the cross fertilization of the two breeds where she's got some like mad energy. So you can take her out for like hours, like I bring her to the park, she runs around, she chases the ball put her on the lead, carry on, go and like walk around, go to the shops, get everything that you need. Take her out for like, you know, a few hours. And then she'll go home and be tired for about 20 minutes. And then she's like, go again. So I don't know, she's got a lot of energy. I remember when I first got her, she was really hyper and really needy. Yeah. And I worked with like a dog trainer to see what I could do to sort of help her out. And you know, what was the best course? And they were like, she, she'd be good on a farm, really. I was like, well, <laughs> I, I can't become a farmer, unfortunately. So, uh, next solution. <laughs> and they're quite, it's interesting. Stinks. Bull terriers, they've got to be quite, have you had to work hard with the training? Or was she, was uh, quite No, well she behaved? is really good. She's, she's good. She's very food motivated. She, like, loves to sit for a snack. She loves playing tennis balls. She loves interacting oh. with humans. She doesn't love dogs. She's fine with them when I'm not there. But what's weird is when I, before, before I had Stinky, I used to live in Primrose Hill and it was so doggy, like everyone had a dog and there was dogs everywhere. And I used yeah. to take her there and never have her on a lead and you know, in the park and she'd run around and she was brilliant and I never had to worry about her. And then when I got Stinky, it sort of changed the dynamic a little bit and she started being a bit protective of him. So she would never like run over and bark at a dog, but when a dog came over to her, she didn't like it. Stinky's going to visit all these oh, school Oh, Stinky's children. going to visit some kids, yeah. <laughs> oh, they seem to like Stinky. Yeah, he's really friendly, Stinky. <laughs> yeah. Hi, he's very friendly. Don't worry. Nick. He's called Stinky. Come on. Oh, she's at home. She's chilling today. Yeah, she's, it's just a stinky day, yeah. <laughs> Got to separate them sometimes, yeah. I love all those kids shouting, stinky! <laughs> I know. Stinky! <laughs> so yeah, when I got stinky, it changed a little bit. And then when I started going to, out with Mish, when we became like a foursome, then she was got even, she changed again. Like she got really protective. And I spoke to the dog trainer about it and she was like, I think it's like when you become more of like a pack, she sees her jobs evolved, yeah. that now she's like, I'm the protector. I mean, she beats him up at home and they play fight like crazy. But when we're out, no, one, no one's allowed near Stinky. No well, dogs anyway. I am, um, I'm here because I'm, I know you're a big dog lover mm -hmm. and I've been dying to meet you because I'm a huge fan, but I'm also here because I wanted to, chat to you about your absolutely brilliant book which I've read and I loved it oh thank you and it's called soft lad it is and it's a memoir isn't it yeah and rather handily for me you've given me a brilliant insight into your life and your family and your childhood 
So I want to go back to Little Nick and dogs because you grew up in Oldham mm -hmm. and you didn't have any dogs, did you? I was desperate for a dog and I always, always wanted a dog. And my mum was a bit scared of dogs and like was never up for having a dog and it was all I ever wanted. And we lived near a park so there was always every single dog breed walking past the house and I'd sort of stare out the window and wish I had one and try and go out and stroke them in the street as they passed. And I was obsessed with them and I never got one. And my dad was semi up for it and I could try and convince him and he'd take me to the park and take me to like um, like this dog dog pet shop that we'd go to and I'd like look at all the toys and stuff. But I never actually got one and my mum sort of tried to fob me off with all different pets like <laughs> oh hamsters and budgies and fish, like everything else, which in the end ended up being loads more hassle than just a dog could have been, like rabbits, everything. So never ever got one. She got me a cat, which is the opposite I of mean... a dog. So yeah, I never got one. And we used to have, um, well, we still have like our, our family friends. They used to have a dog called Sandy. And um, I was obsessed with Sandy. So I'd always go around and play with Sandy and ask to look after Sandy. And I took Sandy to like the local dog show once and I like, entered him there. And he must have been like about 14 or 15 years old or something. And I entered him into like the local dog show at this like ancient Labrador. And I was like, here he is, <laughs> can barely walk. And Sandy was a, a celebrity. Sandy was the yeah. first celebrity you ever met. Sandy was the first celebrity, yeah. He ate their <laughs> Christmas dinner, like the Sandons, they were called, the family name was Sandons. They ate their Christmas dinner. Oh, he ate their Christmas dinner one year. And it got out to like a local paper and then it got out to another paper and then it ended up spreading and it became like this massive worldwide news story that a dog had ate the Christmas dinner. And I think it had just ate like a bit of the turkey. Yeah. And then the papers got onto it and someone else and it like snowballed. And it got to the point like people were calling from like Australia and New Zealand and asking to speak to my Auntie Carmel and the Jay Leno show called and we're like, we want to do a feature on Sandy, the dog that ruined Christmas. And it became like this massive dog story. But I think it's not much news at Christmas, <laughs> is there? So they were like, oh, we'll, go with it. we'll go with the dog that ate the turkey. But yeah, Sandy was oh. the first celebrity I ever met. World famous for about a week. And your childhood, it was Pete and Eileen, mm -hmm. who I love the sound of. Yeah. <laughs> you had Pete and Eileen and your brother Andrew and sister Jane. Yeah. But in some way, Nick, you you were almost raised as an only child because there was such a big age gap, yeah. wasn't there? Yeah, there was like 11 years between me and our Jane and then 13 years between me and our Andrew. So yeah, I did grow up feeling like an only child. When, in terms of playing, do you mm. know what I mean? When you were like, I didn't really play with my brother and sister. They were really good in that they'd look after me and take me to gigs and do all the good older brother and sister things, like introduce me to the right music and things like that. But in terms of like playing, I never like played with them, you know, we never like climbed in a tree house no. or anything like that because by the time I was, you know, four, my brother had, had moved out and he was 17 and had a job and was like, you know, an adult man to me as a four-year-old. And you described yourself, which I love, as the, the third sequel that no one wanted. Yeah, I was. That was a total surprise. Uh, for my family and I think like my mum and dad were thinking like oh we can wind down a little bit now you know we're in our 40s my mum was 41 so I think she was thinking that's it that's a wrap that's the hard bit done <laughs> oh you're there I was looking for you your childhood was kind of was it a sort of cul-de-sac life I call it sort of gentle suburban yeah bit Truman show yeah, a little bit. Like, we were, like, on the outskirts of Manchester in um, Oldham. So we were in, like, very, like, suburban, horseshoe-shaped yeah. little road with bungalows and, and hanging baskets. But my fam my mum and dad are both from Manchester, so they were really proud of being from Manchester. And we always went into Manchester City Centre, you know. My mum made sure, like... I don't know if she did it on purpose or just from Lays of never changing it, but like our dentist was in Manchester City Centre 
and everyone at school was like, your dentist's in town, that's mad. <laughs> um, so we were always in Manchester, but yeah, I grew up in a place called Royton. And your dad worked for Findus. Yeah. Which is the most brilliantly 70s and 80s job, so I amazing. love it. Shout but out Lean Cuisine. <laughs> <laughs> and I really get the sense that you had, there was a lovely sort of energy in your family, mm -hmm. in the sense that you sort of always felt slightly different, didn't you? But that was never, you were never made to feel weird in your family for that. Yeah, I, I did. I did feel different. And I think I felt different because I felt kind of like an only child, mm. but not really a fully, you know, textbook only child. And I didn't really like what all the other friends that I was with, of probably at primary school and definitely secondary school, like all the lads that I was friends with, we had sort of polar opposites of what we were into in terms of films and music and what we wanted to do in our time and they loved sport and I hated sport and sport seemed to be the sort of only thing for a boy at that time, it was like the only thing and I didn't like it so I did feel like an outsider with a lot of the lads at school but never at home, like my family were big and still are big Man United family and love the football. But I was never made to feel bad for not liking it or for not um, being like a skilled footballer like my dad and my brother and my sister was a big fan. I like the sense of you being, I suppose, a bit of a performer from quite a young age. What I think is interesting is I can see how your family gave you that freedom to express that. And I wonder if that's also partly to do with the fact that you weren't being compared with other siblings. Yeah, maybe. you were on your own, you were yeah. one off. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, they'd let me do what I want and I'd, to an extent, but in mm. terms of like performances, they'd, whether or not they wanted it or not, I'd do it. <laughs> I'd do a show for them and impersonate everyone. And I used to do like Tina Turner and I used to do Jarvis Cocker, Heather Small. <laughs> And I do like shows for my family. Often like when my dad was trying to watch the football. But yeah, they were definitely encouraging, but also like, shut up, <laughs> stop, get out. So they were encouraging, but it was, um, it was realistic. Oh, look at that one, Nick. I know, I love that one. It's like a little lamb. What kind of dog is that? He's a Seedyham Terrier. Oh, wow. Apparently they're very rare breed. Oh, yeah, I love him. From Wales. Oh, he's... Oh. He's yeah. very... He's lovely and sort of Christmassy. Yeah, it's Christmassy. Come on, you. Bye-bye. How do you find that, Nick, by the way? You know that thing about dog walking? You're constantly doing that, aren't you? It's oh, the... chatting to people. The little exchange. I love it. Do you? I really love it, yeah. I love it, though, those questions that people <laughs> ask. They're always like, how old is he? I'm like, why? <laughs> I never say why, but I think it's such a funny question. <laughs> why do you care? How old is that? And you go six, and they go, oh, six. It's such a weird question. Because they don't care either. It's just like <laughs> weird politeness that we have. Like, how old is it? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Five or six. And also, and what's her name? Like, you're going to then have a, some sort of relationship and with his them. Email and it's, address. it's important for you to know that information. Yeah. It's like, I, lot, I, lot, I, I, I like that. Do you know what? I'll tell you when I found that useful. When I've gone through periods when, I don't know, I'm, I'm just, because we've all had them, those periods of not feeling great or feeling a bit down. Or I've always loved dog walking in those periods because it just allows you to engage with the world so you don't completely. <laughs> oh. <pull it. laughs> Hi, Stinky, come on. Oh, sorry. Is he stinky? Stinky. Yeah, he's called Stinky. Oh, stinky. Yeah. <laughs> he is Stinky, so. Yeah. Stinky. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Stinky. See you later. Bye. 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 Oh. <laughs> Do you know what, Nick? I feel, I feel really proud to be with Stinky. Do you? you know that thing? Like I feel, I felt really proud because people were giving Stinky compliments, oh. and, I, and I was standing there like slightly pretending he, he was he mine. He never gets many compliments because of his face. <laughs> like it's nice I know that the all feeling. those girls were like, "Oh, he's so 
Thank you. Normally people are like, he looks weird. <laughs> but he does look weird, but that's why I like him. And you were sort of carefree until a certain age when I feel you suddenly became more conscious of yourself. Mm -hmm. Is that, would that be fair? Yeah, definitely. I think in, I think we all get a bit more self-conscious when we're like early teenagers or people start going out of school together. Yeah. You know, like when you're at primary school, you hang out together, sure, outside of school, but you're like at a friend's birthday or like you're under like adult supervision. So I think I started to feel more conscious of myself when we were teenagers and we were like going out on our own. So when you'd be like 13 and people had stopped going to the park and hanging out and you'd sort of see personalities outside of what you see in school, you know? So I definitely felt conscious of myself then because at school, you know, you're a teenager and you don't really know how to like stand or like yeah. hold your arms or like out of your picture taken or how to smile and like you're overthinking every single element of your being. Um, and I just remember feeling as a teenager like really different to everyone at school and not really wanting to be like them. I wasn't like sad that I wasn't like them. I just remember feeling really different and not really knowing why I felt different. And then I think when I got a little bit older and I realised that I was gay, mm. I was like, oh, that might be it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could yeah. be that. Like, I just remember everyone loving FHM and like Gail Porter and all that. These, there was such a weird page three culture mm. and I just remember not really getting it or like not even not really getting it not getting it full stop and I remember thinking oh maybe these women are a bit too extreme for me yeah. maybe I've got a simpler taste oh. is that's how I was started to process it I was like oh maybe I don't want to go out with Giselle <laughs> or Kelly Brook maybe I want to go out with like Gail Platt or something so that's what that's when I first realised I wasn't like the other boys. I don't know. <laughs> you know, someone a bit more of a someone a bit more akin to me and my house and my family at the time. Yeah. So you're growing up, and there's a really touching story again in your book. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but I found this so touching was that you were trying to sort of find a, an entry point into this this kind of male teenage boy culture, mm -hmm. and this thing was all the boys would have calendars. And I remember that so vividly. It was like the Caprice one or... It's so funny when you think about it. Yeah, the Melinda like Messenger. Every single boy had a calendar as if they like had a busy schedule. Like, why did they need a calendar? And it was all anyone talked about for ages. And then everyone on the first day of the month at school would be like, oh, new calendar today. And it'd be like Jet from Gladiators <laughs> or Melinda Messenger. And yeah, I just remember that being such a huge moment of my childhood was the discussion from about November, if not earlier, what calendar were you going to get? And you'd have to get basically soft porn. <laughs> there was always like really sexy bikini shots of every woman off the telly. Do you know, Nick, I should say, this is very unprofessional, I haven't even said where we are. Am I allowed to name the park? Mm. Or, yeah? Mm. We're in Clissold Park in mm -hmm. North London, which is so beautiful. Gorgeous, I need, isn't it? I need to spend more time here, Nick. Yeah, it's such a nice park, this. Yeah, so the calendars. So you, the yeah. boys would get these calendars and you're thinking, oh shit, I better choose one. I better choose one. <laughs> so I'd always think, right, who's really hot? Who would, like, straight lads pick? And I'd always go for, like, Kylie every year like not even realizing that kylie was really gay i just was like well she is obviously for the heterosexuals let's <laughs> look at her <laughs> i had no idea that she was gay at all and everyone that i liked as a kid i had no idea that they were camp so like jerry halliwell kylie tina turner i was like oh these are like strong women this is very heterosexual i loved tina turner i still love tina turner she's my fave so, yeah, I thought that they were really, like, good heterosexual women to have and adorn my books with and stuff at school. So I had, a, like, a Jerry Halliwell bookmark. So I was like, that's quite straight, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so good. And you got your mum to buy you 
Did she get you the Kylie calendar? She got then? me Kylie, yeah. Um, and I used to get that every single year and pin it up. And and you've subsequently met Kylie with I your have. parents. Did you yeah, tell her that? Yeah, with my mum and dad. I don't think I did <laughs> tell her that. No, we went to see her in Manchester with my mum and dad, and then we weirdly ended up going backstage. And it was quite a weird situation because she ate her dinner. And we weren't eating dinner, so it was just <laughs> four of us round a table and she ate dinner. Well, I guess because she needed to eat dinner because she'd just done a show. But we were like, oh, it's 11, you can't have your tea at this time. So we didn't eat, and it was just quite a weird interaction. But it was, um, <laughs> it was a funny one with my mum and dad there watching Kylie eat salmon and vegetables. But I didn't tell her about the calendars, no. no. Next time I see her. But you did tell. I tell her. You did tell David Beckham. Yeah. That you'd had that you'd had a poster of him on your wall, because I feel like David Beckham was an oddly significant person for you. I feel it was almost like that was a bit of a light bulb moment. It was a real light bulb moment, yeah. Because I remember always trying to get football, and it was all anyone talks about, so I'd try and get football magazines from the shop to see if I could get a bit interested in it, and I couldn't. And I'd try, like, when we'd go to the newsagents to get one. And I remember, like, flicking through it and seeing a picture of David Beckham and not knowing who or what David Beckham was and not being able to look away from it, like, just totally transfixed by the image of David Beckham. And I couldn't figure out, like, why I loved it so much. Because as, as, as I, I don't know how old I was, I was young, but, like, not old enough to be like, oh, I fancy him. Yeah, yeah. I was like young, but and I was like, I can't stop looking at it. And it's like magnetic and sort of magical. And I couldn't really figure out why. And then over the course of like a day or so of looking at it, I was like, oh, I know why. Bloody gay, aren't I? So, but I, that was like a first moment of me like really fancying someone. Mm. That was the first time I fancied somebody. But you didn't feel... Presumably, did you feel after that it was kind of something that you, you couldn't really talk about? It was no, a I private couldn't. thing. Yeah, and it was a private thing and it was a weird feeling of feeling feelings that I'd never felt before, which were quite joyous. And then also feelings of like shame and guilt and fear of, of realising, oh, I, I like this picture, but I like it because he really looks like a handsome man mm. and I must be gay. So that was my feelings of seeing the picture. It was quite a weird mixed bag of feelings of seeing David Beckham's face. But it makes me so sad that that would have to be your first reaction because mm. I suppose, you know, I know slowly things are changing, aren't they? Mm -hmm. But those messages you must have been getting were that they said it was wrong and that this made you weird in some way mm -hmm. or abnormal yeah and I don't not f as I said not I hate not to add from your yeah, family no, not but from, from my family what, society like, they were just like yeah. around it was anytime yeah. anyone was gay on the telly it was like this massive tragedy or this yeah. horrible secret or they were dying or they'd killed themselves so it was like something that was like weighted in guilt and shame and it was like an affliction mm -hmm. so even though it wasn't you know you I wasn't seeing like apparent you know, homophobia in my household, yeah, yeah. but you just feel it from like watching telly and like hearing the way people said things on the radio or the way that someone had, you know, a casual microaggression of homophobia. They were just like constant. So you just knew it wasn't the right thing as a kid and in actually, the 90s. You know, it's interesting because even at the more benign end, the fact that TV presenters, who we all obviously knew were gay, mm. but there was this conceit that they never acknowledged it. They never mm. acknowledged their sexuality. They said camp things and they came out with innuendos, but they never publicly stated they were gay because yeah. they couldn't, Or in they fairness. were like a caricature of, yeah. of gayness. It was like... Um, it was a straight idea of... You know, it was like, a, it was like an extreme... I don't know. Yeah. It was, there was no one that you saw, or that I saw on the telly that was gay, that was like, oh, they're a bit like me. Yeah. I thought all gay men were like Liberace, <laughs> genuinely. When I was growing up, I was like, but I'm not like that. So maybe I'm not gay, because that's what I thought yeah. gay men were. Or when someone did like a, a, a sketch show and there was a gay character, it was like this extreme camp, 
like drag queen or something and it was yeah. like that wasn't what I thought I was I didn't think that you could be gay and not be someone in performing arts yeah. <laughs> or dying that was like my two extremes of it and I was like well I'm not dead and I'm not Liberace so it was just quite a, I don't know I didn't really yeah. know where to put myself and I felt othered and I felt quite alone and on the outside of, of everyone really when I started to realise mm. because I didn't really understand what it was. Mm. I thought it was like a, a new personality you had to embody or a new lifestyle yeah. you had to like learn about and take on. I didn't realise it was still you, yeah. it's just an element of you. So I didn't really know that at the time so it seemed overwhelming because we'd not, I'd not really interacted with anyone gay at all. You know, and we had like gay people in our town and you'd like, as kids, people would drive past and go, the gays live there. Not like as a bad thing, but it was just noted. Like that was their personality. So it was like, you know who lives there? Who? Gay people. So every time you went past, someone would like point and say it. So it was never like, uh, there was never anyone like burning pitchforks outside their house or anything, but it was always noted. So it made me think like, oh, that's your, that's, that's the thing. You're like, yeah. I think I wrote in the book that it's like, that, that became their personality. So like, Postman Pat, like, that's <laughs> what he does. Did you end up having the conversation with your parents or did it just happen, sort of evolve no, I didn't, quite naturally? Actually. Yeah, no, I didn't. I remember speaking to my sister about it and my sister was like, can I just say, she was like, it's absolutely mad that you'd have to, that, as she said, the thought of me having to sit down with my <laughs> mum and dad at a table and be like, um, just want to let you know that I have sex and men. Like my, my sister was like, that, yeah. I can't handle how cringe that would be. She was like, just, uh, she's like, just I can't do it. And, like, and she's like, I don't see why you should have to have that horrible, like, just want to let you know that um, I actually want to have sex with men. She's like, it's yeah. so crazy. I don't know, I think times have changed so much. Like I remember growing up and there was always questions from like people in the street and neighbours and relatives from a really young age that they'd say, oh, you got a girlfriend? Oh, bet you've got a girlfriend. And I just don't think anyone would do that anymore. I'd just never say that to a kid. No. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? It's such a weird thing to say. Yeah. Oh, bet you've got a boyfriend <laughs> to like a little girl. It's like, well, no. She's seven. But do you remember that? Like people would say that to you all the time. People just like it was sort of assumed or yeah. put on you that you'd be. I kind of think it's quite weird any time of your life. It's really well, yeah, really weird. When people weird. come up to you and say, because you sort of think what you're basically asking is, are you sleeping with anyone? Yeah, that's what <laughs> it's like, yeah. None of your business. Yeah. Oh, Nick, what's this? Oh, I don't know, a bit of Tai Chi. This looks up your strata oh. because you're very into all your. Oh, Stinky's got a little friend. Over here, over here, Stinky. Oh no, he's interrupting the Tai Chi. Stinky. Oh shit. Nick. Don't want me shouting Stinky oh, while God. you're doing your Tai Chi. That's right, it's right. He'll be in the zone. He'll be in the zone there. Oh, sorry. Ah, Stinky. Ah, ah, ah. He loves getting prams. I don't know why. Get down. Are you sure? He's really friendly. No, he won't. He's very friendly. Oh, get down. Come on. He's called Stinky. Yeah. Is that a personal thing? Yeah, well, he's just a bit stinky. So This is Raymond. This is Raymond. Yeah. Stinky, out of there. He's figured out, like, prams normally have, like, crumbs in and, like, food in. So he's always, like, when my friends come round, he's always... Oh. Do you want to come say hi? Stinky. He's called Stinky Blob. That's his full name. Come on, Stinks. Lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you guys. Come on, Bye. Raymond. Come on, he Raymond. He always gets in a pram. Because there's always like crumbs, you know. Always there. Oh, and then everyone thinks, oh, he's so fond so, of children. So loves let's children. sit on that bench, Nick. Yeah, we should sit, sit down there. for a minute. We've really put the hours in. Oh, we have. Is that marathon this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not fucking doing that thing again. Bloody walk for miles. This, Nick, is what? stunning. Isn't it gorgeous? Can we have a picture here? Because this is the one, It's so nice, isn't it? So, um, yeah, you don't like radio, yes. I'm interested in how all that started because you were so, you were pretty laser focused from a 
Young yeah, age, I think. Yeah, feel. I was really, really obsessed it. with it. And I'd not really... I didn't really listen to any other radio station apart from Radio 1. I just listened to it and I remember falling in love with it and how it felt really naughty, really, when I used to listen to it when I was on the way to school. You know, my mum and dad hated it. They thought mm. that Chris Evans was really naughty and Sarah Cox didn't speak properly and the music that they liked was, like, insane to them. So I loved it because they hated it, I think. And it just felt really free and it just felt like they were having so much fun every day and it was like a fun gang of people every morning having a laugh and talking about their lives. And I just really fell in love with it and I never, ever stopped listening to it. And I listened, it was a massive part of my routine to listen to the radio every single morning, listen to John Peel at night. And again, like, he didn't seem too professional, you know, it was yeah, never too yeah. proper. Yeah. He'd be like, oh, what should we play now? Or, oh, no, I don't yeah. like that. Or, oh, should we try this? And I don't know, I liked how human it yeah. felt, Radio 1. Um, so I really, really got obsessed with it as a kid. And when I wanted to do something that wasn't a regular job, I think because I had an old brother and sister, they were both quite encouraging of me not getting a regular job. Yeah. Because they were like, we fell for it. Stinks over here. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Um, they fell for it, so they were like, don't do it, don't be an accountant. So I was like, oh, maybe I should do something fun in music. And then I thought, well, I can't sing and I can't play any instruments and yeah. can't write songs. So radio seemed like the next perfect yeah. thing for me. And actually, it turns out to be better because it just means you're around people and yeah. hearing from people and talking to people and hearing stories and sharing stories. So. And you were I sort really of set my sights on it quite young, yeah. I feel like you were really well prepared for it though, because kids who grow up with older parents, I think, are so well prepared for socialising. Mm. There's a sort of sophistication socially about them that other kids don't have, and it just means you can mix with anyone, and mm -hmm. you're very portable. You're like an ambassador's child in a yeah. way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we always had like great parties at our house, and my mum always had these girls' nights, and she still does them now, even though she's 79. Stinky, and she still does them every month, where all the girls get together and they have like a lunch or a dinner, and they do it every single month. So my mum always had them, and I loved them, and I always thought they were so fab and so glamorous that people would wear shoulder pads and like clip-on earrings. So I'd always beg to be at those dinner parties. And I guess, yeah, going on holiday with my mum and dad, when I was 10, they were like 51 and 53. Yeah. So I guess the conversation was, <laughs> was more mature. And I'd be expecting just to sit at dinner with them and their friends and talk to everyone. Come on. Nick, are you quite a people pleaser? Oh my god, yeah. Such a people pleaser. How does it manifest itself? Such a people itself? pleaser. Oh, I don't think Raymond likes that. Oh, he's going to have to put up with it. Um, how does it manifest? I just always want to make sure everyone's happy and content and um, <laughs> even, even apologise for things when I know they're in the wrong. Just Gee. so that there's no beef or drama or situation. When you're a people pleaser, though, it's difficult, isn't it? Because That's it. I think you, I relate to that, and you end up a lot of the time, it makes it hard to confront people, mm -hmm. and it makes it hard sometimes to ask for what you want. Yeah. Have, has that been something you've had to learn how yeah, to do? Yeah, definitely. I hate confrontation. Do I you? definitely got better at it, but I started going to therapy when I was about 30, maybe. Yeah. And... Yeah, I always hated confrontation, like, so much. And I still don't love it, but I can manage it better now and be like, can I just let you know, by the way, yeah. that this, blah de blah so that led to this, and made me feel like this. So let's not do that. Or whatever, which I'm so happy saying now. Yeah. And always, you know, I'd, I'd always want to go to something if someone had invited me, because I didn't want to, like, let them down. Whereas now I'm like, I can't go to that. Yeah. Full stop which I don't feel guilty about, which I used to always feel guilty. Always go and like, always commit to too many things and then yeah. I'd always be late for everything because I was trying to like get to everything to make everyone happy or someone would say, I want to go on holiday and I'd be like, I know someone that might be able to help you get a holiday yes. and like get all worked up in everyone's business and then you end up causing more of a furore Nick. just than getting on with your own life. I find it interesting that you ended up doing a job 
which necessarily almost forced you to focus on other people mm -hmm. a bit more than yourself. It was all about them. Mm -hmm. It was, I'm going to make it all right for you and we're going to promote your thing. Yeah, and talk we'll about make you. you feel comfortable <laughs> and you'll talk, yeah. And a lot of radio is that with callers or celebrities. Mm. So you're trying to make people feel at ease and make people feel welcome. Why do you think you were drawn to that? Do you think that was because there was a part of you that wasn't entirely comfortable with having all the focus on you? I think so. I think initially it was music mm. that drew me into it, that made me want to do the radio, and so I could be around music all the time. And, and then I think when I started doing it, I realised how much I love talking to people and how much I love com conversation. And I like making people feel comfortable, yes, but also it makes me feel more comfortable speaking to other people and hearing other people's days mm. or when I've had anxiety before or spoke to my mum about how to deal with her anxiety. I just think it's so much better to talk to someone else about not your anxiety, but like how they're feeling, like what mm. they're up to. Mm. Like it sort of gets you out of your own head as well. I think it serves both you and them in a nice way when you're less yeah. me, me, me. And you were... <laughs> he says. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean though? But you, you started, you worked for MTV originally, didn't mm. you? And then you were hanging out with some amazing people in, I'm fascinated by this kind of Camden collective mm. where you'd be walking down the street and you'd see, you got to know Amy Winehouse because you met her in Pret. Mm. And you were hanging out with people like Caroline Flack and that must have been an incredible period. Mm. It was weird because I didn't think about it at the time no. at all. And then when I was writing the book and I started it's a weird thing to sit and write a book because you're sat thinking about yourself outside of yourself. Yeah. So I don't know if it's like good for you to do. It's probably quite bad for you to do. But, <laughs> but I did it. Um, <laughs> and I, when I was looking back on that time, it was such a mixed yeah. bag of people that were all hanging around in the same pub at the same time. And then some people were famous, some people weren't. But then like one by one, everyone sort of weirdly seem to excel in their chosen field and you know Henry went from working at a magazine to being a designer and then uh, Alexa ended up being like a TV presenter and Caroline Flat became really famous and then Aggie became a model and like I don't know all this and then Amy Winehouse was like a girl that was in the pub and she'd had that first record but she wasn't like famous famous she was sort of the underdog, mm. at, you know, at the Brits or anything. She was like, mm, probably nominate her because you need a jazzy nod. Yeah. And then she became obviously like really famous and everything sort of, I don't know, it all happened and it all seemed to be sort of based around that pub. That's how everyone knew each other. And it wasn't like a celebrity hangout. Mm. It wasn't like a members club or anything. It was just like this very regular pub. But I think that's why London's good and why I loved coming yeah. to London because it wasn't just famous people hanging out in a bar. It was like a member's bar, drinking expensive cocktails. It was just a pub. And some people did become famous. Some people worked on Camden Market. Some people were people that worked in the office with me at NTV. It was a proper mixture yeah. and they were all different ages and from different walks of life. And I think London was good at that time because people were celebrated like if they were funny. Like mm. you could just be funny and mm. then you could hang out with whoever or I don't know, you were a good crack. It wasn't on the basis of like, oh, they've got quite a lot of followers actually and they've really been on TikTok. <laughs> like no one talked about work or talked about You're... or even thought about being professional. Stinky. Um, excuse me, Nick. Where was oh, the dinky? I don't know. I've just... been crazy ever since he <laughs> sat down. Look. How's he got more energy? Look at Ray. I know, Ray's asleep. Nick, do you think you're like your dog? Are you more like Pig? Stinky, I'm not just saying this, but Stinky's <laughs> never like this. I think it's because we're out without Pig and he thinks like there should be some frantic energy. Do you know what? He's so He's never a bit like, this. like when Robbie Williams went take left take that. Yeah, he is. He's like that. He's, he's Robbie on Will one. He's gone Robbie Williams first Glastonbury yeah, post take has. that. He really has. He's lost a tooth. He <laughs> he's on one. He's dyed his hair blonde. What is going on, Stinky? <laughs> You've gone. He's mad for it. I'm mad for it. Right, but what I find is interesting is that you were all drawn to each other. People say, oh, isn't that weird? They were, all went on to be famous and successful in that field. And I think no, that's why you were drawn to each other as mm. people, because actually you felt 
there is a sense of otherness yeah, when you're I doing think there that, was that. You know, sense of otherness definitely from from everyone. And I think you know, Amy aside, I don't think anyone was really from London. There's a mm. lot of northerners and a lot of people working jobs that they didn't really like, and no yeah. one had any money. So you had to do extracurricular things, and you, you know, I had to DJ a lot, and I had to go out every night to make money, either flyering or DJing. So it meant you met more people, I guess. And you did, obviously, famously, you were at Radio One for a long time. Mm -hmm. was, was it fourteen, 14 years? Fourteen years, yeah. And you did the drive time and the weekend breakfast. Initially, you did actually, mm -hmm. and then you got given the breakfast show, mm -hmm. which is obviously the gig to get, mm -hmm. and. It's an interesting job to get, isn't it? Because there's built-in failure for the first, the first few months. You know, you mm. know you're going to drop listeners. I think that takes a lot of balls to do that job. Were you daunted by that? Did you think, oh God, here we come? I didn't initially because I was so excited to do it and it was mm. all I ever wanted, it, wanted to do. So not initially. And I remember starting the show, I being mean, really excited about starting the show. And I remember when I did my first show, about halfway through, someone who worked on the show said, oh, like, all these blogs are so funny. And I was like, what do you mean? And they were like, oh, like, the newspapers are live blogging it. And I was like, what do you mean? And I think it was like The Mirror and The Guardian, like, did live blogs. So it was like an update every, I don't know, minute or... 30 seconds of everything I said and everyone that I'd spoke to and what song I'd played and what a text I'd say. And then when that happened, I was like, oh, this is actually such a different type of radio show. Yeah. It's so in people's lives and it's so important to people's days. And it's so in the forefront of their day. It's like morning, radio yeah. on, you're on. Whereas everything I'd done before felt like quite passive. It was like nighttime radio or on the weekends. Yeah. People were like driving to do something nice. But I think breakfast, weekday radio, you know, you set your day by it. You know, you want to yeah. be in a good mood. You're in your shower by that time. Th that's what time you get in your car when they yeah. do that thing. So I remember a few years in, when we did anything changed, if we were a minute late for something, people would be like, you're late for the next tape, or, you know, you've done this at the wrong time. And it's like, oh, we just felt like changing it today. Mm. And they're like, you can't change it, because that's what, that's what time I get in the shower. So when a DJ changes it, it's like the yeah, biggest yeah. upheaval and like a massive ordeal. And I'd not really factored that in mm. when I started the job. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it's, it's such a high pressured job. Really. Like the tension you get from that job is, is really crazy. And in some ways it's really nice that there's always, do you wanna go play? There's always like nice conversations to be had and people always wanna talk and chat to you about what you said on the radio you know in Tesco or whatever people will always have a chat to you but then also people will always tell you if it's shit as well and are you okay with that yeah I think so yeah you're quite sort of um I think that's like fair enough do you? you know I always think my dad hated the Rolling Stones right and I thought if anyone could hate the Rolling Stones <laughs> then surely everyone can't like me or it'd be like Madonna's bloody rubbish and I'm like, how can you think Madonna's rubbish? What are you talking about? So I think because I had to hear him as sort of a, and then you know, said what he, he thought. I, I, did, I never minded criticism, but ever. He says that, but he went to Madonna's party with you. He did go to Madonna's, <laughs> under duress. Yeah, he did, yeah. He did go to Madonna's party. He didn't want to go, but he did attend. And he didn't meet Madonna either. But he met um, Lindsay Lohan. He met Lindsay Lohan. He met... Um, Oh no, there was one bit where Kim Kardashian and Kanye West, didn't they, you and your mum and your dad had got there very early mm. and then Kim Kardashian and Kanye West walked in and thought you were the only yeah, people. Yeah, they'd, they, we'd got there at like the start time for a party, like 10 or whatever. But obviously no one gets to a party at 10, like when it starts. You've always got to like leave an hour. I don't know why, but we do, don't we? Like you'd never go to a party at no. the time it starts. But we did because I was with mum and dad and I had to wake up and do the radio the next day. Oh, stinky! Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Come here. Um, and yeah, Kim and Kanye, I guess, because from LA. They also came at the time that the party started. So the only people that were there were my mum and dad, who were like well into their 70s, and Kim and Kanye. So they didn't stay long. I was very touched What about your, what your dad said. Because you lost your dad, didn't mm -hmm. you? And I'm, I'm really sorry about that. 
because I, I know how much you loved him. And I was so touched that he had said to you, you did it mm. about your Radio 1 gig. And that was almost kind of one of your final exchanges almost. It was in the last sort of, you know. Yeah, it was. Yeah, he, you know, he was like very encouraging as a, as a, as a kid about it, not even doing radio, just encouraging of like, I don't know if encouraging was the right word, but he was very like, you better bloody work hard. So he was like, you've got to work hard. Like, you've got to work mm -hmm. hard. Like, nothing's going to happen. You've got to work hard. And because he'd sort of worked his way up and, and worked really hard and, and, you know, could afford to buy a house and buy a car, he thought if he could do it, anyone could do it. And because we'd had, you know, the not we didn't grow up in the same circumstances that my dad did so he was very honest to work hard and be it whatever but when I wanted to do radio initially he was like oh bloody stupid it's pipe dream or whatever you've got to have a backup plan and then when I said to him like no actually I am going to do it he was really supportive and, and really encouraging and, and super proud and yeah he was so happy when I got that first Sunday night slot on Radio 1 he was Really proud. I think he was really proud because it was like the BBC, so it seemed proper. You know, it was like he's, he'd heard of it, and um, yeah, he was he was really happy. And like he reminded me of my sort of vision as a kid, and like my ambition and the hard work that I put in. Like before he died, he was like, "You always said you'd do that, and you did it." I was really in bits reading about um, when you went to that Adele concert. Oh my God, it made yeah. me really cry. Uh -huh. It's so moving. Yeah, it is. And I read that out to Mish and he really cried. That's the only bit that he's read. He's not read it yet. And it was basically you went, Adele was an old friend of yours, and mm. you go to this concert and you take your folks, because mm. frankly, you take your folks everywhere, which uh, yeah. I kind of love. <laughs> yeah. Well, they took me everywhere, so I thought, to return the favour. Yeah, but that says a lot about you to me. Right. Because I've got to be honest, and you've said they come from a different world, mm -hmm. and a lot of people, even as an adult, would have that sense of, oh God, is this going to look a bit uncool? You know, like I've got my parents, and are they going to say or do the right thing? And But that tells me that your relationship with your family was always more important to you than anything mm. else. Yeah, totally, yeah. And I'm still like that. Like, I always invite them to every party, and I invite my aunties, and... <laughs> my brother and my sister and everyone, yeah. And you went to the Adele concert mm -hmm. and she gave you a shout out. Yeah. Which is incredible. Mm. Was it make you feel my love that she sang? She did, yeah, make you feel my love. Yeah, and dedicate it to me. And it was, yeah, it was very moving, very surreal, weird moment. I don't want to ruin it. No, we won't ruin yeah, it. We'll just it. say... Yeah, go read it. We'll just say it was very moving. Yeah. Was but your fun. dad... Responded in typical Mr. Grimshaw yeah, fashion. Yeah, like perfect. <laughs> your, dad, your dad's always saying things like, when you got hummus, what I love about your dad is he thought, he, he was a bit confused. He's a bit, he didn't like a lot of the London food and your London ways, did he? No, he, he still <laughs> always used to be like, coming up here with his bloody London ways. Okay, what's going on here? Come on, Stinks. Oh, oh yeah. I'll tell you what it is, Nick. Oh, there's another dog under my leg, that's why. Nick, which way should we go? can go back. Let's this go this way. way. Come oh, on. Yeah. Maybe this way, because then that lady can walk that way with the dog. <laughs> stinky, stinky. <laughs> Look at him. He honestly never is like this. I think it's because pig's not here. I quite like it. I quite like it. I love his bark. Isn't it interesting? Ray only likes Stinky. And yeah. he doesn't like... Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think Stinky, like, leaves him alone. I think Stinky <laughs> can read energy. Like with Ray, he's like, he don't want to play. Don't it's he, interesting that he's just ignoring Ray, but happily chasing everyone. He's good at reading way. rooms, and I would say... Yeah, he can read a room. I think you're probably quite good at that. Yeah, maybe. Maybe me and him are the same. I think you're probably someone who can go into a room and think, that person looks a bit uncomfortable, I'm going to talk to them. Yeah, I have done that before once when um, at Glastonbury, I thought someone was... I didn't know who they were, and I could just tell that they were on their own, and I couldn't, I couldn't really work out what was going on. And it was like, I don't know, two o'clock in the morning at Glastonbury, and this guy was there. And I was like, are you okay? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, do you need a cup of tea or something? 
And he was like, yeah, maybe. Mm. And I couldn't really work it out. Then I made a cup of tea for him and like, I don't know, I was treating him like, you know, he'd never been out of the house before. And it turned out it was Hamish Bowles <laughs> from Vogue. And he was like there to interview someone and he, I thought he was like, I don't know, I thought he was someone's dad or something. So I felt like, oh no, I just felt like he, he looks like he just don't, you know, like he had a shirt on and chinos. So I was like, he doesn't look like he should be at Glastonbury. <laughs> so I like made him a cup of tea. Yeah, I do do that. I do do that. I think that's from being a DJ. I think you have to read rooms when you're a DJ. Because, you know, you sometimes go and DJ and you don't know who's going to be there, what it's going to be like. But then also, I think that is a sort of emotional skills, charisma thing that you kind of have or you don't. And I think, obviously, when I think of you, I think of someone who's, you know, I call it the Norman Cheers phenomenon. Oh, yeah, what's that? Which is just... You know, Cliff will come in the bar, everyone will be like, oh, all right, Norm uh-huh. comes in, Norm! Oh, that's nice. Thanks. Tell Love cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Love cheers of a Friday night. <laughs> Tell me about meeting your beautiful other half. Oh, yeah, Mishi. So, yeah, I met, I met Mishi and I wrote about this and I said that, um, oh, Raymond getting some attention. Yeah. Oh, Cousin, it. Hey, <laughs> you are the beauty. Oh my God, darling! I've got shit, so lovely. Oh, yeah. And when I see a mini one the other day, I just wanted to scream. Oh, oh look at him! Look, Raymond. 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 Oh, Raymond. You should let Steve I'm going to have just seen that. Yeah. Oh, that's too exciting. Yeah, the hairdo's fab, isn't it? Oh. Yeah. Go, Ray. Oh, I should have just learned to go with dogs. We could just do loads of stuff. Oh, hi, you alright? Yeah, it's a low tuning shop the other day. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm good. You alright? My friend's there. This is stinky, this one's mine. Oh, there you go. Not as fun. We're in a dog room. I didn't even see you there. I was taken away by the hair there. Yeah, the hair gets you. Hi, bud. Oh, thank you. Have a nice day. Lovely to meet you. Bye bye. Oh, Raymond getting some lovely attention there. I feel really glad now. Oh. I feel it's been more Stinky's day, I'm not going to lie. It has, but Raymond's more subdued, isn't he? And he'll, Stinky's yeah. Stinky's all in your grill. Yeah, I like to think he's sort of a... Uh, he's a scene stealer in his own way. Yeah, he he's the is, kind of, yeah. It may he's be... more like, a, if, if he was a movie star, he'd be like Rachel Weisz. <laughs> you know, like classy, chic gonna... and stunning, but not, not in your face on Instagram, you know? Just... Good in his own right, it's like Rachel Vice. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh, so that's like you see her on a red carpet nailed... and you're like, wow, love Rachel Vice. You've nailed it. Where is Stinky? Where is Stinky's like <laughs> Florence Pugh? <laughs> I think Stinky's more like The Rock or something. <laughs> so, and I love Florence Pugh. Please so keep that I. in. I met her in Ibiza and she was so fun. And not that I didn't think Florence Pugh would be fun, but I didn't know it was Florence Pugh. Yeah. I just thought it was like a fun girl called Florence. And then after about two hours, I was like, she's in the films. <laughs> so tell me about Mish. Oh yeah, so Mish. So I met Mish the day after I left the breakfast show. And I left the breakfast show on a Thursday and we had a really big night on the Thursday with all our friends from the radio. And then on the Friday, I was really hungover. And my friend begged me to go out. And I was like, I can't, I'm so, I'm so bad. And she was like, please, please, please. And I said, I, you don't understand, I can't. It's, it's not gonna happen. And she like wore me down. And then I went to this club on Hackney Road. And as I was walking in, I saw Mish. And obviously I didn't know him. But you know when people say, like, oh, haven't we met before? Like, don't I know you? I didn't say that, thank God. But I had that in my head. I was like, no, I know him. And it was really weird. Like, I was just like, oh, no, I know him. I really recognise him. And I'd never seen him in my life. And I've never really had that feeling before where I was like, oh, I know him. And it was a really weird feeling. And then I went inside and my friend said to me, she was in front of me. She was like, I just saw your husband outside. I just got a weird feeling. And I was like, wait, I just had a weird feeling. And then we started chatting to him and he had the exact same experience in that he was really hungover 
and he didn't want to be there and his friend had dragged him there. So it was quite a weird first meeting because yeah. we both were like, hi, <laughs> we don't want to be here. Yeah. <laughs> so we bonded over the fact that we didn't actually want to be there. And then that was it. And then that was like, yeah, four and a, I don't know, four and a half years ago or something. Four and a, How lovely. Yeah, so, um, yeah, Mishi's great, he's really good, and he's, um, he's a dancer when I met him, and now he's doing more choreography and movement direction and stuff, so he's, he's a nice person to live with because he has a job that I find really interesting, so I love... Quite hot as well. Oh, yeah, really hot. Don't you think? Yeah. Tell me, Nick, yeah. I'm going to let you go now because you've got to get back to Pig. Yeah, well, Mishi's with Pig. So we've had sort of separate um, doggy days, doggy dad days. Yeah. And um, what do you think? If I ask me, mm-hmm. what does he? What does he love most about you? And what does he find the oh most challenging? God. I know what t- he finds the most challenging. I'm <coughs> quite messy. <laughs> in that, when I get something out, I can't. Seem to put it back where I found it, and he. Do you know Misha's my dad? Exactly the same. You've married your dad. Exactly mm. the same. Has to have the same hangers. Has to have all his clothes pressed, his underpants pressed. Like his sense of pride and order and organisation is the same as my dad. Oh my God, Stinky's in a picnic. Stinky, over here. Sorry, Stinky, come here. Stinky. Stinky! I can't tell if they like it or if they're mad. Let me go and get him. (laughs) (laughs) Come here. Sorry, guys. And so you're going to go back now. And do you, by the way, who does does most around the house? Are you the cook? I'm the cook. He loves cleaning. Like, loves cleaning. Like, he really enjoys it. He loves making the bed. That's handy, Nick. He loves having the curtains all organised. And I love it like that. I just don't want to do it. Like, I, I hate doing it, but he loves cleaning. So he's really happy that yeah. I love to cook and that he And you do the cooking because you've got the podcast as yeah. well with the lovely Angela Hartman. Yeah, so Angela and I, we're doing some tomorrow, actually. I spoke to her this morning and she is just so fab and so much fun. I love hanging out with her. She's so much fun. And yeah, so I've been sort of watching her cook and picking up tips from her every yeah. time we record it but she just doesn't get stressed yeah i don't know where we where we learn like you know cooking's this stressful yeah. performance piece that it's got to be perfect <laughs> and she's like oh don't fucking worry about it she's like really relaxed and like don't put yourself out like make something simple that's delicious so i've been definitely cooking more since because of her i like mm. her because i think her Manner is very, as you said, it's low stress, oh, and also so crucially, she's funny. She's so and funny. And I think, I think you're very drawn to those people because mm. your dad was funny, mm. wasn't he? Yeah, very funny. So. And she's no nonsense as well, you know. She's straight up. She'll say in front of the whole crew, like, "How many more fucking episodes have we got to record of this?" And they'll be like, 16. She's like, "Fucking hell, 16!" And I love that she just says that to the <laughs> actual producers. And we should say it's called um, Dish. Dish, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's been really fun. We just had Stanley Tucci on. We just had Ottolenghi on. Um, David Harewood. Tomorrow we have Marcus Waring. So Chefy one tomorrow. All the potions. Yeah, potions tomorrow. Um, so yeah, but it's a lot of fun. I love it. You go off and enjoy that and I'll be picking up dog shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nick Grimshaw, I kind of knew, I had a bit of a niche vibe about you oh, before really? I met you, in that I knew I was going to like you. Because I'd read your book and I felt I knew you. And every page I read, I thought, yes, yes, this is how I feel. Oh. And I think a lot of people will feel the same. Oh, I hope so. Um, because at the beginning of the book, it's interesting. You show it, I don't want to give too much away, as you say, but you show it to a friend of yours. Mm-hmm. And he gives you some incredible advice when you're writing it. And he says, why is it important? Mm-hmm. And I won't say what he said, but I found, I think for me it was important because it was really a lesson in how the more you, the more vulnerable you make yourself, the bigger the reward because the Mm. more likeable and lovable you are. Yeah, totally. And I think I I learned that a a few times in my life and Mm. talk about that a few times in the book of the, 
either words of wisdom from friends or stuff I'd realised through work, but definitely the case. I read that book and I, I thought I really like him. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. That makes me really happy. Nick, thank you. And oh, I really you. urge and everyone... To Raymond. I urge everyone to go and get Soft Lad because it's so brilliant. Nick, have you enjoyed meeting Raymond? I've loved meeting Raymond. I wish I had Raymond. I really do. I really want a third dog. Raymond. Say goodbye. Is that what I get for coming on the podcast? Because <laughs> sometimes on Dish we give people like a bit of food. I should get a dog. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that. And do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes.